Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch's sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee, plus 15% off your first order at bolinbranch.com code odyssey. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey folks, this is Kevin. Just a few words before we start. Well, I get a lot of emails from you guys, people saying, you know, I'd like to start a podcast too. Uh, Do you have any tips? I have one. Hire Jeff Barr. Jeff's the episode editor of Risk, and no exaggeration, about once a week I find myself thanking God that he came on with our team here. Perhaps one of the hardest working people I've ever met. Jeff has an enormous range of skills, and listen, if you want to try something he's never done before, he will learn it and master it like that. He's always going the extra distance, always thinking, hey, maybe we could try this, or you want me to look into this, or the kind of dedication that makes things extraordinary. So if you'd like to work with Jeff on on a whole podcast series, or maybe just one audio project, maybe one story, write to jeff at risk-show.com. And I can assure you, you'll be working with the very best. Finally, uh, it's been a while since I've said this, but there's two other kind of people that we're always looking to speak to here on the Risk team. We're always interested in speaking to people who uh, are grant writers, people who write to foundations to get money for uh, projects such as ours, or if there's anyone out there who is particularly interested in the system of a business in the project management, the action plan development, someone who knows how to get a startup from the ground into the air, someone who knows how to take a project like this and monetize it, make it financially sustainable and orchestrate a team into a well-oiled machine. If you're out there, write to Kevin at risk-show.com. Now, here's the show. Kids, this is Extra Risk, where we give you just a little bit more of the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share. I'm Kevin Allison. This is Yuki Suzuki behind me now. Now, you may have heard that we've started bringing Risk 
to colleges. What's interesting about it is that it's turned out we don't just bring the show, we bring an entire educational sort of experience because I end up talking to clubs and classes and arts programs about storytelling itself. We include students and professors in the show that we do, and then we stay on campus to do a workshop the next day. It's kind of a perfect marriage because college campuses are, you know, where everyone's trying to figure out who they are and where they've been and what to make of their life experiences. So when we show up on campus, it is not just a hell of a show. It's a valuable experience for the community. So what happened with Wesleyan was a student named Carolyn Cohen wrote to tour at risk-show.com and she said, hey, I'd love to do whatever I can do to help Risk come to my school. And through Facebook, she spread the word to other students on campus, hey, let's try to bring this here. And enough students expressed interest that the school itself was like, all right, let's bring it. And you can do that too. Just write to tour at risk-show.com. And one thing that was especially nice when we went to Wesleyan was being able to spend time with Kamau Bell, who you're about to hear. Uh, Kamau lives in San Francisco and he performs all over the place, but things just lined up so that we were able to be there at the same time. And it was just a real pleasure getting to know him. Such a smart, sweet guy. You can find him at wkamaubell.com. That's W-K-A-M-A-U-B-E-L-L.com. So here he is now at Wesleyan University, Kamau Bell, with a story we call Baby Got Gas. Give it up for the band, everybody. Kisses and grapes. That's what we agreed to, right? So I'm glad to be here. Uh, I, um, I am a comedian. I talk about racism a lot in my act and in my solo show. I end racism in about an hour. Uh, tonight I only have about 10 minutes, so I'm just going to make it worse. Uh, <laughs> thank you, these people. Uh, <laughs> these people are like, I don't really think that sounds like a good idea. <laughs> I leave tomorrow, so you guys will have to fight it out. Uh, you know, and it's, fun, it's weird to talk about racism in the 21st century because I really, in weird ways, I'm jealous of like my parents' generation and every generation before that because their stories of racism were all awesome. You know what I mean? If you told a story of racism in the 50s, there was like fire and gunshots and running from the town and... Ah! My stories of racism was, that white guy was rude to me. <laughs> This doesn't have the drama, you know what I mean? So I find, I, that's why I talk about it on stage a lot, because I feel like I can actually explain it a little bit. Like, I just have weird things happen to me. I'll tell a couple shorter stories than the longer story. Weird things where, like, you know, there's no, you don't know how to react to it. Like, like I was traveling around the country last year with a political comedy group that I'm in called, called Laughter Against the Machine. 
And uh, we were making a documentary about political comedy, and we went to like political places in America where things are happening. And so we went to Madison, Wisconsin, because of the union thing, and we were in Madison, Wisconsin, and we're hanging out at this fest called uh, Fighting Bob Fest. I don't know if anybody's ever heard of that. It's a big liberal festival in Madison where they like fire progressive politicians, and a lot of people speak. Uh, it was like uh, a lot of lefty progressive people like Greg Palace and Tom Hartman and Cornel West were all there and blah, blah, blah. And so we're watching this thing and then we're walking around talking to people and filming them for this documentary. And people keep coming up to us and saying, thank you for coming. And I was like, wow, thanks. Everybody's polite. And then the more I realized that they're not thanking me, the, me and the other members of the group for coming, they're thanking me for coming. And then finally, at one point, this woman comes up to me and goes, looks at me, ma'am, you'll be me. And that's when I realized, oh man, these people think I'm Cornell West. <laughs> that's weirdly insulting to both of us. Uh, <laughs> I'm nowhere near as old as him, and he's like, and I'm way cooler than you, uh, is what he told me in an email. Uh, that's not the only time. And so that's like, a, that's, I mean, there's clearly some racism there, but it, I didn't have to run from a town screaming. And that's not the only time. I'm not going to put stuff like that only on the Midwest. You know, a lot of times in this country, we try to put things on the, the ignorant stuff on the Midwest and the South. But I live in San Francisco. Uh, <laughs> yes, I hear there's a lot of San Francisco and Wesleyan. Uh, so I live in San Francisco, and uh, like I was at, the, I went to a lunch with a friend of mine, and the, the the waitress, the server, was giving us really good service and being kind of like weirdly sort of flirty with me, and ex like she was excited to be around me. And I was like, well, that's I do have quite a popular YouTube channel. Uh, <laughs> 6,000 views and counting. Uh, <laughs> and she was really like, I was like, well, you know, I guess this is my hometown. I'm a comedian, you know, it works. And the next day, my friend says, I went back to that restaurant. You won't believe what happened. I said, what? The, waitr the waitress said, oh my God, how do you know the lead singer from The Roots? <laughs> Which is fucked up twice because, first of all, the Roots are a hip-hop band. They don't have a lead singer. They got a lead rapper. That's not the same thing. Second of all, that guy's real short and always wears hats and is real dark. It's like he doesn't look like me. She means the drummer, Questlove, who sits in the back. He's got a big afro like me, but I don't look like him. You know how I know that? Because I'm not him. I just feel like, I just feel, it's just a weird thing. I just feel like, I think, I just want to say this, and I want you to spread it around, because I know you guys are the, like, the white people here are the good white people. I get that. <laughs> I get that. <laughs> Look, some of you are applauding. Yes, we are. Uh, yes. That's true, Negro. Slow down. Slow down. <laughs> but, you know, like, I just feel like, just go tell your other white people, because, you know, you're all related to ignorant white people. You know you are. You know, we're all related to ignorant people of every race, you know. Just, just let them know that more than one black person can have a nappy afro at one time. Uh, we don't hand them out individually and say, okay, Questlove, you get it for the first six months, then Cornell gets it. What would those white people have done in the 70s? I see Michael Jackson everywhere. <laughs> So it's, you know, stuff like that. It's just these weird little stories of, of racism. Like traveling, like being a comedian, I'm on the road a lot. And when you first start out in comedy, you have to take gigs that you wouldn't, that common sense tells you not to take. But you're, you're trying to get gigs, so you take gigs in places like Lovelock, Nevada. Which, why would you name a place Lovelock? You know, like, <laughs> the love is locked out. 
like literally I had to take a Greyhound bus to Lovelock, Nevada, which is the middle of nowhere in the middle of nowhere. And I told the driver I was getting off in Lovelock and he was like, really? <laughs> and so I did do two nights in Lovelock, Nevada. And, uh, and it's just a weird thing because you do these gigs. And I mean, literally, when you go to such a small town out of nowhere and you come from a city like San Francisco, you kind of feel like you're coming from the future. <laughs> and I'm not trying to put them down. It just feels like that. It just feels like, you know, like, and, uh, you know, it just, you know, and so I get this, so I do the gig and it's just not going to go great. You just know it's not going to go great because it's, you're, it's just, there's too many cultural, this is differences to try to make jokes about something. And so the first night goes okay. Uh, and then I'm like, oh, okay, that's fine. The second night, and you got to wait the whole day for the second night show. And you're just in my hotel room like, mm. <laughs> and then the next second night they decided that, uh, that, uh, the first night had gone too well. So they decided to have a wedding reception in the middle of the comedy show. <laughs> And they're like, these comedians need a challenge. <laughs> and so it just went, it was horrible. I mean, you can't, you just can't do that. There's like children and grandma and a black guy yelling about racism. <laughs> and uh, and so, I, so I finished the show and I go back to the hotel room and I do what I do after bad shows. I get under the covers and turn on the TV and just start thinking about other career options. <laughs> and at like 4 a.m. in the morning and I'm still up, I hear outside my window, it's true. The KKK are on their way. And here's, I'm from San Francisco. I've never, ever heard that before and never thought that I would hear that. I live in San Francisco. Like, the, even if the KKK wanted to come for me, they would get so distracted by all the other shit that they wouldn't make it to me. <laughs> There's gay people and Mexicans and even Catholics. We don't like them either. So, and gay Mexican Catholics. And so literally, I'm like, I, I, I'm like, I hear the KKK is coming and I'm like, I get out of bed and I'm like, and, and, and I look out the window and I'm like, I'm in my underwear and I'm like, should I put on my clothes for the KKK? <laughs> and I look out my window and I realize that the guy who's yelling that is yelling at the only other black guy who's there who works at the casino. And I really weirdly had this thought, I was like, oh, thank God. <laughs> They're coming for him. <laughs> oh, goodness. All right. I mean, like, like, as if they would show up and be like, is it you? No, it's the other Negro. Let's get it! <laughs> but apparently I found out the next day that that's just what that guy does. He gets drunk and he threatens for the KKK to come. That's, that's what he does on Friday. <laughs> he's like, oh, he's always threatening. They, yeah. He was kicked out of the clan years ago. <laughs> so it's just weird. So... So that's like my base, like I just have all these weird racial experiences, but then recently uh, it's like I'm having a whole new perspective on race because uh, me and my wife had a baby. Actually, she had the baby. I got a baby. <laughs> that's way, way better. <laughs> if you can choose between having a baby and getting a baby, get a baby. <laughs> Clearly, I'm only talking to the lesbian couples. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's way smarter than a lot of people gave it credit for. Thank you over there. So, and my wife is, is white and I'm black. And, uh, so we, and so that means the baby is a mixed race baby. And so it's like a, just a whole new level of like thing that I had not thought about or prepared for. So like the, my wife, the, the baby's eight months old now and, uh, and she's adorable because that's how it works when you have a mixed race baby. That's just, an, <laughs> that's just evolution helping out, you know. 
Look, you're black and white. That's going to be confusing. People are going to yell at you. You're not going to fit in any world. You're adorable. It's evolution. It's just... <laughs> so, I mean, she's really, really... Actually, hold on. Uh, so, and so, like, and so we have the baby, and the baby, like, uh, like, so, like, our wife has the baby, and I'm in the, the living room with her, and she has the baby, and the baby comes out white with my nose. <laughs> that was, I was like, hey, oh, okay, all right. <laughs> like, literally, I was like, okay, uh, all right. <laughs> now... And literally, it was just a weird thing. Like, I was, it wasn't weird for me. I wasn't upset that my baby was white. I was like, cool, when she grows up, she can tell me what white people think about me when I leave the room. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> it's not good, Dad. It's not good. <laughs> so I'm not, I'm not caught up in that at all. Uh, but it was just funny to see my wife's, like, family. Like, I remember her brother walked in and met our daughter, and he was just like, and a little bit he had this look of, like, what happened? <laughs> Is that the right baby? <laughs> But then I felt behind that, he was a little bit like, yes. <laughs> Not in an evil way, just in a, oh, I don't know, just, so, but the thing is, is that they don't, doctors don't tell you this, no baby stays the same complexion as when they're born. Even babies born of one race, when they come out, they look like one thing and they start to get their complexion changes. So what's happening now is literally, as each day goes by, my daughter's getting a little bit darker, but I don't know where she's going to end up. <laughs> so, <laughs> And so I'm just sort of charting her color progress. Sometimes I take out a Michael Jackson CD and I'm like, it's dangerous, it's dangerous today. But, but right now she's at this weird, my daughter's at this real part, it is true, at this weird part of her color complexion where she's like getting darker, but if I hold her, she looks white. But if my wife holds her, she looks black. <laughs> She's kind of like a broken chameleon, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> you're doing it the wrong way, baby. You're doing it the wrong way. But what happens is when I walk around the world, the world sees a black man with a white baby, and that's not the combination the world is used to seeing. I mean, the, the white guy with the black baby, they go, oh, that's so nice. Where'd you get him? You know what I mean? But like, that, you do so much charity. But... But a black guy with a white baby, people get really like, they start to look around and stare. And I remember like we went to the airport one time and this, this older like uh, Japanese woman was looking at my wife and me and the baby and like trying to figure out how this all worked out. <laughs> it was just a weird like, and I was like, we did that. She's like, oh. <laughs> like she, and so it's just this weird thing. But when I walk around, I realize that the world sees a black man with a white baby, which means people stare and look and get confused. And it just means that like when I walk around, I, there's a little bit, I can't just be a dad with this kid. I have to be a dad with this kid who's also sort of like protective of the fact that like, I'm worried that like what's going to happen in the future. Like how, how long does this go? You know, how do I tell, how do I explain this to her when she gets older that people think that we're not together? You know, I don't know how it works, but, and the story I'm telling, the story I'm going to tell is the biggest, the greatest, the most sort of the biggest example of that. So, uh, baby was about six months old, and me and my wife are gonna go take uh, visit her parents, my wife's parents, uh, and we, they live like two hours south of where we live. And when you're a new parent, like you literally, it takes forever to do anything. You're like always an hour and a half late to everything because you just forget 
all the stuff you have to do to take your baby somewhere. So you like, you like, so you leave the house, you get in the car, you start driving, like, oh, we forgot the stroller. So you go back to the house, you get the stroller, and you start driving, oh, we forgot the blanket that she likes. So we go back, and then you go, oh, we forgot the baby. And you go back. <laughs> So we get, so everything's just like the stutter start thing. So we're in the car and my wife goes, you know what, now we, it's taking us so long to leave, I need to feed the baby. You know what, I'm just gonna pull over here and feed the baby for a little while. And uh, after we fed the baby, we're like, she's like, wait, we can't just put her back in the car seat because she's been in the car too long already and we haven't left yet. You know what, we need to put gas in the car. Why don't you take the baby, walk the baby like it's two blocks down to the gas station and I'll meet you there. And uh, we'll fill, so she can be out a little bit in the world and get some fresh air and I'll meet you at the gas station. I'm like, all right, cool. So I walk my baby over to the gas station, and I'm standing at the gas station, just waiting for my wife to pull in. And uh, this car pulls in with, this, with a white woman in it, uh, a different white woman, not my wife. And uh, I could tell. Uh, yes, that's, that's, that's not my wife, that's not my wife. Uh, <laughs> sometimes that gets so embarrassing. Uh, so, so I go to the gas station, and I'm waiting, and this car pulls in, and this white woman gets out of her car and starts filling up her car. And like I said, I showed you, my baby's cute. Like, people just start to get caught up, and they're looking, and she's got these big eyes, and she's just got, she's got this cute nose, and people just get caught up and looking at her. And so I'm just used to that part of it, too. Like, people look at her and get all caught up. And so the woman looks at like, my daughter, and she's like, ah. And, and uh, she looks at me, and I smile, because like all parents, you take credit for your baby's looks. Like, you picked it out or something. Like, that's the one we wanted. And... Uh, <laughs> And so I smile, and the woman does this. She goes like, <laughs> which I have to be honest, as a black person, that's not the first time I've seen a white person get nervous around me for no good reason. I, you know, like there's, there's just that thing, uh, uh, black woman right here. Have you ever had that happen where you see a white person get tense and you're just like, oh, this is not, yeah, okay, thank you for that. <laughs> I, needed, I needed some independent black verification, and she gave well, a little bit, okay. <laughs> So like, I had, so like the woman goes, and I'm just like, oh, I don't know what she's tense about. I don't know what the problem is. You know what, I'm not gonna, I have time to deal with this. I'm just gonna go step to a different part of the gas station so she can have whatever moment she's having. I don't know what's happening here. And so I step to a different part of the gas station, I wait, and then my wife pulls in, and she gets out of the car, and she goes, cute baby. And the woman goes, and I hear her again go, and I realize, she doesn't realize that that's my wife and we know each other. And she's nervous that, like, I guess she thinks, oh, no, this is that black guy, white baby scam I just got an email about. <laughs> like, she's, and, she, and, I, and I, so I look at my wife and try to, say, try to communicate to her without saying anything, pretend like you know me, you know what I mean? Like, you need to act like you know me so she can calm down. And I'm trying to just sort of say that to her, but the problem is, is that that's, that's really a minority thing where you can look at somebody and communicate, like, this white person's fucked up over here. <laughs> it's not... And my wife's white, and I'm trying to teach her how to do that, but she's not really picking it up very easily. And that's, it's a, like with a black person, like I can look at this black woman right here and be like, there's somebody fucked up over here, and she'll know exactly who I'm talking about. Like I can look at another minority person and tell them somebody fucked up here, they'd know sort of this area. They would know exactly. So I look at my wife, and I'm like, I'm like you need to act like she's like, ah. Like, ah. And so I'm, I'm sitting here with my wife trying to like negotiate this, like, and just like, okay, let's fill up the car and go. And all of a sudden I hear the woman say to me, do you work here? And it was weird because I was like, what? But I was also kind of excited. I'm like, oh, okay, whatever she, moment she's having, I don't work here. 
Like, it, what does she think? It's bring your white baby to work day, you know? Like, <laughs> I don't work here, so I'll just say, no, I don't work here, and this can be done. This conversation can cease to exist, which will be great. And I go, no. She goes, okay, I just don't think you should bring a baby to a gas station. Thank you, <laughs> that person. Uh, and it was like, and that's my response. I was like, you know, when you hear a sentence that you've never heard before, <laughs> and even though it's all words you know, you've never heard them in that order, so it takes you a second to figure out what the fuck it means. Like I'm like pulling it apart, like diagramming, like they taught me in private school. Okay, wait a minute. The subject, the verb. Okay, ad, like I'm trying to figure out like, okay, you don't take a baby to a gas station. What does that mean? What, what does that mean? And the thing is, she keeps talking. I don't think you should take a baby to a gas station. Not a good idea. A baby to a gas station. I don't think it's a good idea. I mean, you know, but take a baby. And then my, and here's the thing. Because I'm a new parent, suddenly I'm like, oh shit, did I fuck up? Are you not supposed to take a baby to a gas station? Is that like one of the things? Like, I didn't read those books people gave me. I should have read those fucking books. I didn't want homework and parenthood, you know? And so I'm like, is that like a thing? Like, you don't feed a baby until they're six months old. You don't give a baby honey. You don't take a baby to a gas station. Like, is that just... Like, I'm like, are there businesses set up next to gas stations where you drop off a baby while you fill up your car? Like, I'm... And here's the thing. She's giving me a homework assignment for a class I didn't sign up for. And she's expecting me to take the test right now. And I'm like, oh, do I take the baby to a gas station? I'm just like, and I'm doing all this work. And here's the thing, she keeps talking. And so suddenly I'm like, I'm like trying to go back throughout my entire life. And I, my whole life flashes before me. And I'm trying to remember every time I've been to a gas station <laughs> and trying to see picture if I've seen a baby there. <laughs> and then finally it hits me, wait a minute. You can take a baby to a gas station. You can't take a baby and stick them under a car at a gas station. But you can take a baby to a gas station. Like, what are you doing? Like, what do you think is going on here? And so I look at her and I go, I'm just like, okay, look, lady. This is my child. That's my wife. We are in control of this area. <laughs> And a little bit what I kind of felt like I was saying is like, I've already got a white woman who's in control of me. I don't need your help. And then she got in her car like, oh, and was like drove off angry. Like I had somehow done something. And here's the thing, I was mad about that for like six months. I was just so angry about like, I just said something, I should have done something, I should have said. Like that's how racism works in the 21st century. You don't get any physical scars a lot of times, you just walk around fucking mad at people who you've never will see again in life. And I'm like, I wish I, should, I, wish I could find her. I just wanna, just wanna fucking, I just wanna, I just, I just, I just, like I was like homicide, like I didn't wanna kill her. I just wanted to like rip her face off and like dice it up into a casserole and then serve it to her family. And when they go, wow, this is delicious. Mom would have loved it. I was like, ah, ha, 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 And that's my story. Thank you, everybody. Good night. Regrets collect like old friends Here to relive your darkest moments I can see no way, I can see no way And all of the ghouls come out to play Every demon wants his permanent 
That's all for this go-around, folks. Florence and the Machine, behind me now. And don't forget to check out our all-star episodes. Lisa Lampanelli, Michael Ian Black, Kevin Nealon, Adam McKay, Sarah Silverman, Nick Swardson, Mark Marin, Carrie Kenny Silver, Samantha B., Paul F. Tompkins. We're talking amazing episodes there, folks. you got to go check them out at risk-show.com slash shop. And don't forget to tweet to Rolling Stone at Rolling Stone, to Entertainment Weekly at EW, and to the New York Times at NYT underscore arts. Tell them to review risk. That's the hashtag, review risk. If you don't have a Twitter account, email thearts at nytimes.com. EW underscore letters at EW.com and RS editors at RollingStone.com. And did you know that the same people who bring you risk have created a school called The Story Studio? You can find us at thestorystudio.org. Nine-week workshops or weekend workshops, corporate workshops, or one-on-one storytelling training, even online. Over Skype, practicing storytelling is useful for so many people in so many different ways. Folks, today's the day. Take a risk. And on today's show, we are going to feature uh, uh, some...